Well, we've been in this summer series called What Makes You Happy? What is it that makes you happy? And, you know, it's kind of an interesting series to have as a church, the question, what is it that makes us happy? It seems like it should be obvious, but as we've looked at in the series, it so often it isn't. You know, what is it that makes us happy? Sometimes we're not quite sure. Uh, sometimes we don't know what it is that makes us happy, and we don't realize we're unhappy until later in life. And we look back in life, and we can say, you know what, for some years I've just been planting some seeds that have led me to an unhappy life, kind of climbing the wrong ladders and pursuing the wrong things in life, and, and now I've, I'm at this place where I'm not quite sure if I'm happy. So we're looking at what is it that makes us happy, specifically from like a Christian's point of view, like if you're a follower of Jesus, what does Jesus say about what leads us to happiness? And we've looked at a few things in this series. The first week, we looked at there's not, there's not anything that makes us happy. There's no thing that makes us happy, but really it's more about who that leads us to happiness. Who is it that's in our life? What's the quality of our relationships? That's one of the keys um, to happiness. And then the second week, we looked at Jesus' most famous sermon that he ever gave, and that was the Beatitudes. We looked at how that term, be, that term blessed, when he said blessed are the poor in spirit, and he went through all those, kept saying blessed beforehand, is a term that means to kind of make you happy or to lead to happiness. And so we looked at all those things that Jesus said, and we said the key to a happy life is to follow what Jesus said and sow seeds of his ways of life because eventually we'll reap a harvest of happiness. It might not happen overnight, but over time, sometimes it takes some years of sowing the right seeds, it'll lead us um, to a happy life. And that's one of the tricky things about happiness. There's a lot of things that lead us to sort of experiencing joy in life. Or to kind of, you know, like that, I sort of feel happy. Like I think I shared a story. We went on vacation, and I was happy on vacation. But then you have to pack up and come home. And that's, you know, driving eight hours from the Outer Banks home. That's not a happy experience. And so all these sort of short-term things, uh, they don't really lead us towards true happiness. And so that's what we're looking at um, in this series. And then last week, Josh looked at how peace is a key to our happiness. Peace with God, peace with ourselves. Sometimes that's a hard one. Right? And peace with other people is the key um, to our happiness. So this morning I want to look at one that I think if I were to ask any of us a question, this question, I think without thinking of church, like if you were just riding in a car, you were sitting at home daydreaming about what would make you happy, I think most of us would probably say this, more of this would make me happy. Can anyone guess what it is? Money, right? Did you guys say money? I heard a few monies. That's exactly what I would have said probably. You know, if I had money or more money, it would probably make me happy. That's one of the common things that we experience in our culture that we think um, is going to make us happy. Now, if I were to ask any of us, all of us, how much more money would it take to make us happy? Like, how much money would it take to, to make us happy? We probably all would have different answers, but there would be a common answer that we all would probably express, and that would probably be more than what we currently have, right? Just more than what we currently have, you know? When I first uh, graduated from college, Joellen and I got married. I remember, you know, we, after a few years, she was a teacher, and she, she left teaching. She stayed home with the kids for, like, I think 11 or 12 years. And we were on one income, and it was, like, you know, the lowest of my income. I, I think I was uh, working at that time. Uh, let's see, what was I? I was in the environmental science field. I was an environmental scientist. And we were making the least amount of money that we made and I would have answered that question about money. You know, I just need more than what I had. And, you know, at one point in time, I got a different job and I got, started making more money. I think it was like a ten dollars or $15,000 raise. And, you know, that felt good. 
Some time went by, the same question came up. You know, if the same question was asked of me, how, how much money do you need to make you happy? I would have said more than what I currently have. It just kind of doesn't stop. And if we were to ask ourselves a question about peace, well, how much money do you need to make in order to have peace in your life? Because we know peace is connected to our happiness. So the answer would be the same. It'd be just more than what we currently have. Money is a fascinating thing. It is tied to our happiness, but it's not tied to our happiness in the way of how much money we make. That's not how money is tied to our happiness, but there's something else that we want to look at. And many of us know this is true because if you visit people in a third world nation that make very little money and are very happy, you can see that it's not really tied to how much money we have, right? And then some of us might know people that are very wealthy, or, you know, in theory, you, you could see celebrities sometimes that you know, they're just not happy. They're making a ton of money and they're not happy. So the amount of money we make isn't tied to our happiness, but rather the management of our money is what is connected to our happiness. How do we manage our money is the greatest tie to how happy our money can make us or influence our happiness more than the amount that we have. Now, Jesus said a lot of things about money. And it's fascinating to think and to understand that Jesus talked more about money than he did really any other topic. That's an amazing thing. And sometimes money's a little weird for us to talk about in church. And if you're not used to going to church, and the reason why he didn't come to church is because, you know, they talk about money in church. And, and well, there is some truth to that. We do sometimes talk about uh, money in church. But the main reason for that is because Jesus talked about it so much, and it's so tied to who we are. And in fact, the management of how we handle it is very much tied to how happy we'll be in life. So Jesus said some powerful things about it, and this is maybe one of his most famous kind of little sermons on that he gave on money when he said this in Luke 16, verse 13. He said, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. And when we look at this passage of Scripture, we read through it. It says, either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, if we were to step back and just look at that for a moment and say, okay, Jesus is talking about masters, all right? Now, what's a, to have a master, right? We don't have masters over us, hopefully, right? We don't, it's not back 2,000 years ago when people would sometimes be in charge of other people, like, directly, right? So we don't have masters like that. We might have a boss or a parent that sometimes you might feel like is your master, but they're really not, right? But Jesus was talking about masters being anything that has kind of control over us or influences us in a deep or a big way. It changes kind of how we view or make decisions in life. And he says, you're either going to hate the one or love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And I can imagine if people were hearing this sermon, they probably would have thought, well, Jesus is about ready to talk about Satan and God. You know, he's talking about two different potential masters in our lives. And, and I would have thought if that's where he was going to go was talk about, you know, the difference between sort of following Satan or the, maybe the world's ways, you know, versus God's ways. But what Jesus did was he said, you know, you can't serve both God and money. He said money is the thing that has the greatest potential to influence our lives and influence our hearts away from God. It's fascinating. And Jesus taught this 2,000 years ago to people that had so much less than what we have today. You know, the average income of people today compared to the people that Jesus um, taught, is, it's crazy higher. Many, many more people were, are middle of class or wealthy than they were back then. And yet, he taught it back then and he knew those principles would still apply to us today. So, 
You know, as we look at this and we think about it, okay, how much is money our master? You know, how much is money a master of your life? How much does it have influence over you and the decisions that you make? How much does it control your, your heart, specifically in ways that leads you away from God? It's really interesting, this words in here. And when you're studying the Bible, I love to just pause on several passages, you know, several verses for a few minutes and just let it sink in. Just take it in. Read the, the words that are written there and just kind of ask yourself some questions. And, and one of the questions I asked about this is it says here, it says you're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. And I thought, what does it mean to be devoted? You know, to be devoted to one. And I looked it up and I said, okay, find out what devoted means. And devoted means to have my heart inclined towards something. You know, that's like a figurative thing to say that our hearts are inclined towards something. But all of our hearts are inclined towards different things. You know, we want them to be, if we're Christians and we're following Jesus, we want our hearts to be kind of inclined towards God. Where even though we're not always doing things right, or even sometimes we make mistakes, generally in life our hearts would be, you know, inclined towards God. And that's what God loves. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. So to be devoted to something, it means your heart's inclined towards it. Like if you're married, your heart is inclined towards your spouse. So when you're making decisions in life, when you're deciding on different things, you're thinking about, well, how is that going to impact my spouse? Or if you have children, your hearts are devoted to your kids. So that influences your decisions. It influences how we see the world and, and what we do. And so Jesus was saying, you're going to be either devoted to money or it's going to be to God. It's very difficult for it to be both. And so here's kind of some questions for us to explore here this morning in a personal way. How devoted are we to money? And so, you know, one is, have has your desire for stuff or for money, has it ever caused you to do something that you regret? You know, have you ever kind of responded to that internal appetite that we have for stuff and got something that you look back on and you're like, man, I wish I didn't do that, right? Some kind of regret. And here's another question. Has your desire for stuff or money ever caused you to do something stupid, right? Anything stupid, like something like, man, you know, that RV's been sitting out there, I used it once. Or that boat, I used it a couple times and I'm paying for it. Or that lease deal, you know, I'm nearing the end of it and I can't stand that car anymore, but I still have got to pay on it. I'm not going to have anything when it's all said and done. And has your desire for things led you to do something you regret or something stupid? And how often does that happen? You know, how often do you end up going to the mall again? You come home with stuff, you don't have room in your closet. You end up having to give stuff away, which isn't a bad thing, to fit things in. You just, how much is your life filled with, or part of your life, getting stuff that you look back and you say, why did I do that? You know, we have appetites inside of us for all kinds of things. And that's a crazy topic to think about, appetites inside. Things that drive us towards certain things. You know, appetites are things that when they're fed... They might temporarily be satisfied, but they always come back. And typically when you feed something that you're hungry for, it comes back even stronger. The way that you get rid of an appetite that isn't healthy in your life is you starve it. Now, I'm not talking about eating, right? But things that drive us towards things that would be sinful or things that might take us away from God is you starve those appetites so that they don't get stronger because any appetite that takes us away from God that's sort of in the direction of sin always gets stronger when it's fed. 
And there's probably not anything that's greater, has a greater influence on us than an appetite for stuff, at least in our culture. And the crazy thing about it is when we buy stuff that we regret, we're being led by the appetite that we can look back on and say, man, that was stupid. That wasn't smart, or I regret that. It's not even really us. It's more this kind of internal appetite that we wish we didn't have that's sort of leading our life. And Jesus would say to us, I want to lead your life. Our Heavenly Father, who's always good, would say, let me lead your life. Not just, you know, the, the kind of the general spiritual things, but even things as close to us as our money. So there's some reasons why we do this and why we grow in having these appetites. As one is because we're discontent. You know, we're not content with what we have. Sometimes we see other things and we become aware of what is out there. And then we become discontent with what we have. That's kind of common in our culture. That's how marketing works, right? Marketing tries to share with us things that we can become aware of so that we become discontent with what we have so that we end up buying things that we might regret, responding to those appetites. Discontentment and awareness is is a powerful influence. It's all over the place in our culture, and it leads us towards greed, It always leads us towards greed. You know, I was thinking about like, what is the thing in my life that leads me to feeling discontent? It might not lead towards greed, but it leads me towards discontent. I found I was looking at this website, and I I guess I'll tell you what it was. It was dealnews.com. And there's these kind of crazy bargains that were, I don't even know how I found this website. Somebody sent it to me one day or I bought something off it. And I would find myself scrolling through this website, looking at things that I had, didn't think I ever wanted to buy, like you know, just, just to see what kind of deals were out there. And then as I'm looking at these things, I'm finding, you know what, I really would like one of those. Or man, that's a crazy deal. You know, and sometimes I'd end up buying those things and then I don't even use them. You know, and it's a crazy thing how all that works. And all this stuff leads us to want to consume things for ourselves, which is at the kind of the heart of the definition of greed. Jesus said this about greed. He said, watch out. He said, be on guard against all kinds of greed. He said, life doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions. And I thought, okay, what is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about abundance of possessions. And possessions are things that are ours. You know, and and he was talking about being careful about greed because greed is so difficult for us to see in the mirror. Probably most of us would rather not characterize ourselves as greedy, right? Right? That's just not nice, right? But probably most of us have some level of it in our culture. We have so much stuff. And we have sort of this understanding that starts as a child, that anything that we have is mine. Give it to me. It's mine. And it's one of those areas that unless we're kind of, you know, focused on following Jesus in this area of our life, we tend to not mature out of it's mine. Whatever I get my hands on, whatever I've earned, it's for me. Jesus said this, if we were to summarize what he taught about greed, he said, don't live under the assumption that everything that you have is for your consumption, right? Whoever taught us that? Why do we believe that the things that we have is for our consumption only? Where did that come from? You know, it's just this kind of thing inside of us that thinks that everything we have, it's supposed to be for us. And if we don't challenge that appetite inside of us, it's going to grow, and it's going to continue, 
And it's going to remain where we kind of hold on to our stuff until our money runs out. And when our money runs out, it turns us into the next thing that happens to us when we handle our money and how we mismanage our money that affects our happiness, and that is debt, right? Debt typically comes from greed. It comes from feeling discontent, from being aware of things that we don't have, that we feel like we want to have right now, but we don't have the money for it. Now, when you think of the tension that exists with stuff that you want to get, but you don't have the money for it. That's a tension that exists between you and God, right? You could say, you know, there's something I want, and I'm praying to God, I'm asking him for it. There's a tension there. I don't have it, but I want it. There's an appetite inside of us that desires it. And we could pray to God, and we could talk to him about it, and maybe God will say, you know, go ahead and get it, or maybe God will say, you know, probably not a good idea. You don't have the money for it. You're going to end up regret buying it. You're going to be paying on that for a long time, but there's a tension that exists there that's okay for us to have with God when we want something. But when you buy something that you don't have the money for, the tension then shifts from being between you and God to being between you and your creditor, right? Now the tension's there. God has kind of been taken out of the equation because we have an agreement with a creditor that we're going to pay for whatever it is that we've purchased, And sometimes what happens is we end up, you know, kind of crying to God about something we need to pay back. We're upset about it. We don't want to keep paying. And we we could say, God, get me out of this debt. I don't want to pay for this car anymore. Or this thing, this couch that I have is already wore out and I got to keep paying on it. God, get me out of it. And the whole time, God is siding with the creditor. Because if you're a Jesus follower, we have to pay back our debts. That's something we're supposed to do. that's, That's right. That's integrity. And God is siding with the creditor and he's saying, you know, Joe, I told you not to buy that to begin with. I tried to lead you away from it, but now you need to pay it back. I love what Andy Stanley says about this. He says, I want is better than I owe. Right? I want is always better than I owe. Wanting something is a better tension to live in than I owe this and I've got to pay it and I don't have any choice in the matter. You know, when we think about debt, why is it that we even consider it? Now, I have debt. I have a mortgage, right? And we've had a mortgage for a long time. And Joelle and I, for thank goodness, somewhere along the line, we picked up that going into debt isn't good. It's not healthy. It ends up where you kind of have less money because you're paying interest on the same things that you could have purchased. So we've stayed out of debt for, for the most part. But when you think about debt, and you know, maybe we'll say you know, outside of purchasing a home, because there's probably value in that, and you, know, you build equity, your home grows in value, there's, there's value in that. But you think of debt outside of that, it's kind of like, look, we think about making an agreement to buy something that we're planning on things happening in the future that are outside of our control in order to pay for what we got. It's kind of a crazy thing. It's like if you were to just hold a $100 bill and say, that's the amount of money that I have, but I'm not going to just be satisfied with the amount of money I have because I'm aware of what's out there. I'm discontent with what I have. I'm going to leverage money that I don't have in order to get what I want today, counting on the fact that I'm going to be, or the probability that I'm going to be able to work and earn money in the future to pay it back. When we think about happiness, that it's connect, directly tied to our peace, that's like a crazy thing, isn't it? And probably many of us have known people or we've been in situations where we've had debt in our life or it's hanging there. We've got to pay, our, pay creditors. Talk about wrecking our peace. 
and talk about something that just takes away our happiness. And so in these ways, our money is so much tied to our happiness. But it's not about how much we have. It's about how we manage what it is that we have. So the point in this is this, is don't trade your peace for something that can't possibly bring you peace, right? The stuff that we get never ends up bringing us peace. So just a little summary of this whole idea. Discontent, greed, and debt. These three sort of words that we're looking at. How do these things ever lead us towards happiness? You know, you look at these things, you kind of evaluate your own life right now for a moment. Like, what level am I discontent? And how does that lead me towards happiness? And whatever level of greed you might have, you know, where you have a sense that everything you have is yours. It's yours, you want to hold on to it. And does that lead you toward happiness? And debt, you know, does going into debt lead you to happiness? And so I think about like an application from this sermon, you know, like what to do, what to apply from our takeaway here this morning. One would be to just stop. Stop being discontent, right? That's a decision. It's not easy, but it's a decision. Stop being greedful and stop making decisions to go into debt. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I shared a little bit earlier that Jesus talked more about money than he did any other topic. And if we were to summarize like all the money talk of the Bible, from the book of Proverbs and the Old Testament to what Jesus taught in the New Testament, we could probably summarize it all in these two words. And it comes down to generosity and wisdom. Generosity and wisdom. They're at the heart of what Jesus calls us to follow him when it comes to our money and how we act with our finances, to be generous and to operate in wisdom. Now, again, I love what Andy Stanley says about this because he talks about how do you practically live out being generous and being wise. And he says this is kind of the simple plan that's really easy for us to memorize and how we kind of live out this sort of generous life and operate in wisdom and kind of submit in our financial world to, to God. And, and he says you give, you save, and you live on the rest. You give, you save, and you live on the rest. So he talks about how giving is really, and what the Bible teaches, is the first thing we do with our money. Okay? Now, I'm not going to ask anyone to give today. So if you're getting uncomfortable that I'm giving the talk and all this stuff, and I'm not going to ask you to do that. I'm going to ask you to just take this home and, and consider these ideas of what Jesus said and follow them. Because he said the very first thing is when we acquire money, it comes to us and it feels like it's ours. He said the very first thing that's the best and the healthiest thing for us to do so that money doesn't become our master is to immediately give. We don't wait to give until we have the best opportunity or until we walk by somebody that might be homeless or, or anything like that, but we come up with a plan for how we're going to give regularly after we earn something, and immediately we're saying to money, you're not my master. God is my master. I choose to immediately give something away that I can have joy in my heart over. The Bible teaches us not to give out of compulsion because a pastor says it, because other people are doing something, but to give an amount that we feel good in our hearts in giving. Because giving always leads to joy, right? When we give something that we're excited about giving because we recognize we're following God in that way, there's joy in that. And the second way is to save. Save. 
What happens when we have saving, a savings account in the bank? What happens internally to us as we go through life and different circumstances come, on, come and go? There's peace there, isn't there? When there's a savings there that's kind of a foundation behind you and what's happening in your life, there's peace there and there's happiness that's tied to savings. Now, Joel and I have been pretty good at this since we became Christians, not the saving part. But we've been pretty good at the giving part. We, some people taught us and we learned what Jesus taught about that. We started giving right away. We figured out a way to just make that a regular part of our lives. We were decent at living on the rest, right? The third part of kind of the wise equation of what God teaches us in following him. The part that we weren't so good at for many years was saving. Savings. We didn't do well with savings. And that's something that since we've started saving, specifically for our retirement, we found that there's a piece there that's also kind of um, spread into us also saving just for life as well. And it's amazing that when you begin to practice some of these things, whether it's being generous and giving, and whether it would be to your local church or to some organization that you believe in, there's something that happens in your heart where you just become generous in other ways. And for us, it started with saving for retirement, and it moved towards us saving for just a general account for us for those storms that come in life or those things that you don't expect. So the wise way is to give first, kind of hitting that sort of idea that money's not our master, it's to save second, and it's to live on, your rest, on the rest. Now, for us, we needed help in this, especially when we first started it. We got together with some people that helped us sort of establish a budget so we could begin to give. And then we, you know, we started giving for, for years. And some, about a couple of years ago, I got together with Lamar Nolt. He's a part of our church. Many of you know he's a, our head usher. Lamar helped me set up a retirement plan, and he's a good man to, to get with to do that if you'd like to, to get some help in how you can save and just kind of general counsel um, with your finances. So if you need help with that, let someone in the church know. You can let me and Josh know. We can connect you with someone and, and kind of get you started on that plan. So when we think about how can you make your money happy, how could you make your money make you happy? The plan would be to give, save, and live on the rest. And now, just to close this morning, I want to just ask you guys to just imagine with me for a moment. Several years from now, or five years from now, or maybe even ten. And I want you to imagine your life, if you move forward in life, kind of maybe if you, know, you recognize there are some areas of your life here this morning when it comes to your money that maybe aren't quite in line with what God would say is best for you. Where is that going to lead you to when it comes to your own personal happiness? And how will it be different if you begin to adopt this idea of giving, saving, and then living on the rest and, and staying out of debt? I'd add that to that. What could be different for you in your life in the years to come? Because this is one of those things that we need to sow into. This isn't something that we begin and all of a sudden, oh, it just feels so great that I gave away that money. It probably will a little bit. But it's not like it leads to just this immediate sort of euphoric happiness in our life. To devote money that you're used to spending on other things to save doesn't feel good immediately. But as we sow into giving and we sow into saving and then we sow into ourselves and just living on the rest and not going into debt, it's something that in the years ahead establishes a foundation in our lives that leads us to experiencing great happiness. That if we follow the world's way, we're not going to experience, it's going to kind of be the, the, the other way, it's going to be a whole lot of stress. And the thing that most of us experience in this is we tend to think the more money we make, then someday we'll start doing these things. But what people say over and over again is that the more money you make, 
the more tempting it is to go into debt because you have more opportunity for it, the harder it is to be generous, at least proportionally to maybe what you would have when you made less. Sometimes it is easier to save, but typically following God when it comes to our money doesn't get easier when we make more money. It just tends to get harder because we've got more opportunities and more things that kind of we get entangled with. Can I pray for you? Please, would you bow your heads? Father, I just thank you so much for your ways, God. I just thank you that they're a lot smarter than my own. Lord, I thank you that, um, God, you have shown us things out of your love for us, not because you want something from us, but so, so much because you want something for us. Lord, I pray that wherever this message this morning meets each of us, that, God, you'd give us the capacity to take a step here today, to kind of put down this money hold that can grip our hearts, that can grab hold of us, that can take us uh, to a place that's not happy, that's stress, that's kind of even all about us. Lord, where we're tempted to be discontent and to spend beyond what we have, Lord, give us that guard. Give us that check. Speak to us in the way that only you can through your spirit, God, and help us avoid it. Lord, when we're tempted to think that everything we have is for us and we need to hold on to it rather than give, I pray again, God, that you would gently and regularly remind us, God, about what is good, what is your way, what is best even for us to be open-handed with the stuff we have rather than closed. God, let us be a group of people that in the future, as we sow into the financial arena of our life with what you have trusted us with, that, God, we will reap a harvest of being happy in it, being at peace, having the security around us of not having debt but having savings, and being able to look back on our lives and saying, you know, with what you gave us, God, I leveraged that for more than just myself, but I leveraged it for others and for your kingdom. Thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.